Duke fans, we thank you for tuning in. This is episode 166 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are here on a lovely Sunday, the last Sunday in September. We are coming to you to discuss some basketball news, and we definitely will get to that beatdown that Duke football served up in Blacksburg. I'm Donald Wine, the captain of this week's episode, joining you from beautiful Washington, D.C. I got my peoples with me first in the Gothic Wonderland. We have Sam Klein. Good morning, Sam. Donald, good morning. Jason, good morning. And to Jason and all of my my brethren out there, uh, it's a happy new year and a Shana Tova. It's Rosh Hashanah tonight for all of the Jews. So, Member of the uh, tribe. Shout good. out, member of the tribe. Shout out to Duke assistant coach John Shire, many of my classmates and friends. Anyway, what any, thought, anything else we got going on? Sam, yeah. I thought you were about to try and name Jewish basketball players. I was like, Dolphin, Danny Shays, and then there's no one else, I think. Uh, <laughs> UNC legend Lenny Rosenbluth and Duke, oh, legend, yes, Art, yes. And Duke legend Art Heyman. Art Heyman, Art Heyman. you're right. Yeah, his uh, jersey's oh. in the rafters. Yeah, you already heard him, but the uh, uh, he is landing <laughs> in the land of, of the Waffle House. We have the all-star special himself, Jason Evans. Oh, thank Jason. you so much. Good thank man. you very, very much. That's that a good is, way to introduce me. Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> Waffle really House hungry. into house. I'm really hungry in case you didn't tell. So before <laughs> we get to breakfast, let's begin. Uh, before we get to everything, uh, we want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Bird Campbell PA, for all of your business law needs. These guys have been there for us, and they will be there for you. Remember, Bird Campbell means business. Okay, guys, we're going to begin in the world of basketball, as we normally like to do. And last Thursday, Duke held its annual media day on the eve of the official first day of practice. And we were lucky enough to have Sam there to get some comments from many of the players. Uh, so I'm going to let Sam introduce everything. Sam, take it away. I actually, Donald, I think it was Monday, but. Yeah, uh, it was Monday. It's been, Monday. Okay. It's yeah. been, right. Monday, it's been a long week. It's been a long the week. News the news trickled out. News, I, I will be, it trickled I will out be slowly. I'm real with you. Last week I was in Germany. I don't know. I, I, I'm quite sure that I'm in DC, but I'm not quite sure. But I definitely don't know what day it is. So I think I think bad. that Mon- <laughs> I think that Monday in Durham is Thursday in Berlin. I, I may be wrong about that. Well, I was in Munich, so I don't. Berlin might be a few days Same ahead thing. of us. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Sam. Regardless, um, I was able to attend media day on Monday. Coach K did an extended press conference. I'm sure you can find coverage of that anywhere that you read about Duke basketball, including from DBR's own Jim Sumner on the site. So certainly a lot of a lot of good detail from Coach K. Before I get to some of the player interviews that I conducted, I did want to pull out a couple of interesting things. So Coach K talked a lot about his grandson who's on the team this year. You can you can certainly read a lot about that. He focused a lot uh, talking about Trey Jones. Trey's obviously going to be the starting point guard, the focus of the team this year. He'll he'll be, if not the most talented player, the most featured player. He'll have the ball in his hands the most. And Coach K talked about how over the summer, Trey really worked on his overall offensive game. So he should be a better shooter and a better scorer this year in addition to being a passer. He talked about how Trey last year overpassed in Coach K's opinion, that he would look to pass too much and defer to some of the other offensive talent. And he wants Trey to keep the ball in his hands more this year. So we're used to thinking about Duke being a, or Coach K being traditionally in favor of the motion offense and all that. Maybe this year we'll see Trey Jones be a little bit more ball dominant with a lot of slashers and scorers around him to get the ball in in more limited seconds during the during the offensive plays and in fairness the reason trey passed the ball a lot last year is that he was dishing it off to rj barrett and zion williamson kind of a forgivable act from a point guard (laughs) i'm not saying i'm not saying it was a bad plan but that but that it will look a lot different this year the other thing that coach k said that i uh, the best quote that i pulled out of that that i thought was interesting is you make less mistakes if trey has the ball is what he said about it. So acknowledging that there's a lot of youth around him, not that Trey's not young, he's only a sophomore, certainly plays with a very mature game. And then the only other really interesting note that I got out of Coach K's press conference was that William Avery, who left Duke after two seasons to go to the NBA against sort of Coach K's recommendation, William Avery is back on campus finishing his degree. And Coach K talked about how proud he was that William Avery had decided to return. He has been back a few times for K Academy 
and it sounds like the the academic bug sort of rebit him. So uh, that was that was cool from the press conference. I did though after the press conference got a chance to speak to a number of the players. You'll hear a lot of that audio coming up. I, I, I guess I'll apologize for the uh, audio quality because there's a lot of background noise in it. They were doing these player interviews in Cameron. They had all the players sort of spaced out on press row. If you can imagine what press row looks like during the game, the players were situated so that one would be sitting in a seat and the seats immediately adjacent to them would be empty. So the players are sort of all sitting next to each other in a big line. And there's lots of media members sort of around in a scrum. I got a a number of the players one-on-one and I'll share a lot of that audio with you, but just to set the scene, the audio quality is not going to be perfect with some of these. But why don't we get into dude, those if dude, you guys the don't audio mind? Sound, it sounds fine. The audio is good. You did well, a it's great got some, job. It's got yeah, some background noise. Let's, let me, let, let, let's get to the real content here. So uh, we'll start it off with my favorite interview that, that, that I did personally was with Cassius Stanley. He's going to uh, begin here by talking about mentorship on the team and all the players that are mentoring him. But he got into a number of other topics. Check this out. Who's been the best mentor to you so far of the sophomores or the upper class, many of those guys? I'd have to say, I'm going to have, there are multiple, so I'm going to say Javin Deloria for sure, Jack White, Trey, um, Jordan Goldwire, uh Alex. You know, honestly, I'm going to say all of them. <laughs> that, that's a cop-out answer. Yeah. What, uh, what, what's like one of the most important things you've learned from any of those guys? I mean, they it's just telling me like you know time management like I'll specifically one of the best things someone has told me was probably um, Justin Robinson and he told me you know if it's past like 9 p.m. there's no point of doing it <laughs> there's no point of going out so I mean you know it's great because yeah, as a young guy young people you know they want to go out and have fun in college and you know he really just told me like you know there's no point in that right now. We all, we all have we all have a, a an ultimate goal, and so you know he's helped me really lock in and you know just I guess keep me away from doing you know freshman things. So you know we're we're, we're freshmen, but we're not held like to a freshman standard. So I think he's definitely helped me to you know just act older than my my grade. So do you think that you're more mature than a lot of the people who are in the dorms with you, or what? Oh yeah, easy. Oh no, easy. Just because I mean, I just feel like. I'd really credit that all to Justin, honestly. He's just been he's been so he's been so good and I think he's been like a big brother to me, honestly. What uh what are your favorite things to do off the court with, with your teammates? Play video games, um, watch T V. Um, so on the video games front, Vernon says he's the best at Fortnite. Wendell says he's the best at two K. What's your specialty? Oh, see, that's what they do. They, they play video games. I, I don't play video games. Okay. Um, <laughs> I watch Netflix, and I watch TV shows. So what, what are you watching right now? Right now, I'm watching, I'm finishing up Entourage for, like, the third time because I'm a little homesick. So I'm from L.A., so it's all in L.A. And then um, uh, I'm actually about to start Game of Thrones right now. You're just going to start now? Yeah. See, I, I was going to start it last year, but, you know, I was like, you know, I really want something that will keep me inside of my dorm. For like just weeks on weeks. I would of all the things it's good for, I'd say keeping you inside is, yeah, exactly. is right there at the top of the yeah. list. So I'm just gonna start that and change the things and all the popular shows that will really just make you like sit there and binge watch. So I think that's good to start it now. How do you like the other classmates that you've met at Duke who are outside the basketball team? Oh, I think it's I think they're they're all pretty cool. You know, um, it's just interesting to be in the classroom with them and I guess technically like it's not really our our court. Like, you know, they come to watch us, and they see us on our court, and they're amazed, and there'll be times where I'm in the classroom, and I have an answer, and then they'll have a better answer, and I'll sit there, and I'll be amazed because, you know, I'm watching them and theirs, but, I mean, we belong there too, but it's still, it's still interesting, you know, to see how bright and intelligent a lot of these kids are. How much do you talk to any of those students about being on the basketball team and you wanting them to come to the games? Um... Not much, but, you know, I'd just like to tell all the, the people who, who do talk to me, I, I always tell them, like, you know, they, after, after they talk to me, they say, you know, you're really approachable, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm just, just like you, literally, we're just a freshman, and um, I just like to meet new people, and I think I've met a lot of cool people here at Duke. What's your favorite class that you've taken so far? Right now I'm taking a Harry Potter writing class, and that's been really interesting because 
I was always the guy who watched the movies and never really got into the books. So now I'm reading the books and comparing them to the movies, and I think that's pretty interesting. How much do you, do you have to get through the entire series in the semester? Oh, yeah. Like, we're, like, four books down. We've only been here for five weeks. So <laughs> it's like every... Every weekend I'm reading about 12 chapters. Are you keeping them in hard copy or do you have them yeah, electronically? No, hard copy. I can't, I'm not, I'm the type of person who um, doesn't really like to do things, to like mix things. If I'm in the classroom, I'm going to do things hard. Like I'm not going to do it on the on the computer. I like to take notes on the my hand. I think it's better and I think you comprehend more by hand. Cool. And you feel like you've you've made that adjustment well, and you're you're keeping pace, and everything's oh, yeah. everything's cool. Yeah. Um, I just I learned that actually like my freshman year of high school. I took it. I tried to take notes and uh, read books on the iPad and on the computer. And I just found myself reading a couple pages, then you know clicking on YouTube, watching like some videos, getting down that hole of like an hour or two, and then I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something different. So I changed it, and I think it's helped me for the best. Do people consider you old school for that? Um, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I still use like a. I don't use mechanical pencils either, so I guess people, people really, they don't say it to my face, but they might think it in their head. Do you approach studying for basketball the same way? Are you are you taking a lot of notes and watching film that way? Uh, we haven't really had much to take notes or film for, but when that time comes, I'll definitely be um, pretty pretty good about that. Just you know, watching a lot of film. I like to, I'm the type of person who likes to see things, so I can understand it. I like to have a why for why I'm doing it, even though with coach, anything he says is that's like the gospel, honestly. So. But I, I still like to know why we do things. Have you, on that topic, have you have you learned a lot from the coaching staff so far about improving your game over the summer? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, just anytime I can talk to the coaches, I talk to them just to get anything. You know what they what they are seeing, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, just to you know, because ultimately I'm playing. Ultimately, you know, they're in control and I'm playing for them. So I'd like to know what they would want from me. What's going to be the biggest change in your game from high school, coming into you know playing in the ACC? Um, I guess probably just, just toughness. Like, I think everybody's going to go through adjustment, you know, where it's different than high school. But I think, I think we're going to – I think we go hard in practice and in workouts a lot, so I think it won't be that, that hard of an adjustment. And what's going to be the most important factor in you getting minutes this year? <laughs> doing whatever Coach says, honestly, and doing it to the best of my ability. Very cool. Good luck. Appreciate it. So great stuff from Cassius Stanley, freshman – uh, explosive guy. We're very excited to see him. We we did hear recently that he broke Zion's Max Vert record for Duke, which is which is astounding. So uh, excited to see him on the court. But sounds like sounds like a great kid off the court too. Can, can I quickly say that I'm concerned? I'm very worried that Cassius Stanley is not going to get in enough practice time, enough time for his studies because he started watching Game of Thrones. Yeah, that is a that's a concern. He, hey, I, he's watching I Game know- of Thrones. He's watching Game of Thrones and reading the entire Harry Potter series at the same time. So yeah. I, as someone who watched the entire Game of Thrones in three weeks, it can be done before the start of basketball. So, Oh, my God. Did you really do that? I really did. I really did. And I, I, got, I led up to the finale, so I watched the, the last three episodes live. So that included those three weeks. Were you, very, were you very tired at the end, Donald? Yes. Very, very tired. Very t- okay. Uh, <laughs> let's get – Let's get to another one of the freshmen, Wendell Moore, who had some int- on the on the topic of of fun things. He had a bit to say about friendship on the team and about uh, his his favorite video games and how they relate specifically to basketball. So here's Wendell Moore. Who's uh, who's your best friend on the team right now? Um, I'd probably say the guy sometimes you find right here, or are you the Trey? I mean, like I spend a lot of time with those guys, uh, Joey as well. Uh, we spend a lot of time together. So we got really close uh, since I've been here. Find that the even the sophomores on the team are, are good mentors to you? Yeah. I mean, really, everybody's a good mentor. Even uh, uh, other freshmen are good mentors to me because they know things I don't know and, I know and I know things that they don't know. I mean, so really, we're all just helping each other out. What does Vernon Carey know that you don't know? Uh, he, he knows a lot more about Fortnite than I do for sure. He knows a lot more about Fortnite? Yeah, he plays that a lot more than I do, so he's way better than me. When are you going to catch up to him? Um... I don't know. I mean, I don't really play as much, honestly, but I mean, I'm trying though. So what are you better at than Vernon Carey? Uh, I'm definitely better at 2K player than he is. <laughs> and, but, that, but does that translate on the court or no? Uh, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. I mean, I kind of see things through, through 2K eyes, and I kind of try to use it on the court. So if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Who's, who's the 2K player that you're best with? Um, 2K player I'm best with is 
probably Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's just unstoppable for me. So he kind of just scores anytime he wants. Can you steal any of Giannis's game? I feel like you guys don't have the same body. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the same body at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, just like the little things he does, like not not just really his move, but the angle he takes to get to the basket, the way he uses his body. Uh, I, I kind of try to incorporate those things, those things in my game as well. And I just wanted to follow Wendell Moore up with another one of his freshman teammates, uh, Vernon Carey, who he he talked about a little bit as being one of his best friends. Vernon Carey had some interesting stuff to say um, about mentorship, specifically around big men at Duke, and talked a bit here about Jalil Okafor. Let's hear what Vernon Carey had to say. Jalil Okafor, just him coming down to Miami to work out. And I, I worked out with two, I worked out with him. Uh, two weeks before I left uh, to come up. So just building a relationship with him and just learning from him, really. feels like he's, he's made a lot of strides in his game even since he's left in the NBA. What do you think you can take away from, from that? This uh, is eating habits, really, uh, and, and his game, and his uh, inside game. Uh, he's been helping me in the post and just uh, what, to do, uh, what to eat off the court. So just helping, like, just helping my, like, uh, eating habits and stuff like that. So what have you had to cut out that you that you were eating a lot of before in high school? No, just I didn't have to cut out anything, but just just like just cut down the portions really. Even even at your size, you gotta you gotta be yeah. mindful of the portions. Yeah. So that was Vernon Carey on Jalil Okafor. But by the by the way, what you have to say? What you what you yeah. think about that? I I love that Vernon Carey is learning from Ja because a lot of people. You know, their their games are are kind of similar. These are guys who are dynamic scorers in the post, who have a big, big body in the post. And the idea, uh, I don't think anyone thinks Vernon Carey is going to be as good as a freshman as Ja was, but the idea that he's learning from him. By the way, people forget that Jaleel Okafor was like arguably the best player in college basketball um, as, as a freshman. His pro career hasn't gone great, you know, the way people expected, but... Dude was dude was unstoppable in the post, and um, I love that Duke has Vernon Carey working with Jalil Okafor. That's just that's great news for Duke. Yeah, and to absolutely. follow I up, think, yeah, go ahead. go ahead, Donald. Oh, I was gonna say like I, I agree with you. You know, teaming up with Ja is like uh, you you mentioned. Like some people kind of forget about it because we've been lucky enough to have some great post players since Ja. But when you talk about a pure post player, there's nobody that has been more dominant in the last eight years or so in college uh, than Jalil Okafor was at Duke in 2014-15. So I think it's great to learn from someone like him to understand what the post game is going to be like in college and, and dominate he, from there. He was he was Duke's best post player since Elton Brand. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that's some heady company. Yep. And he followed up here. I had a quick question for him about what game he is most excited to play in this year. And the answer was not the Dean E. Smith Center. Uh, so here's here's Vernon Carey on the game he is most excited about. And um, looking ahead at the season, is there an opponent that you're excited to play, or a or a venue that you're excited to play in, other than Cameron Indoor? Um, probably our first game in Madison Square Garden. I think it's Madison Square Garden. Yep. Madison Square Garden. So yeah, it's a fairly iconic venue, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never played there before, so I'm excited. So as Duke fans will remember, Duke plays Kansas right here in the first season or in the first game of the season at Madison Square Garden. That's what that's what Vernon Carey was referencing. And pretty cool to hear from a guy who's been through the whole all-star circuit, but hasn't yet played at the most famous arena in basketball. And certainly we'll be we'll be doing a big preview of that game in a few weeks, which is going to be a great kickoff to the season. I wanted to move now to um, Jordan Goldwire. Uh, who had a bit to say about each of the freshmen and, and reviewing their games and wanted to share his thoughts about each of the freshmen who's coming in this season. Do the the vocal part of being a, a Duke defender as well as you think they're supposed to? Yeah, uh, most definitely. You know, uh, everybody has their days, uh, especially when you first come in. Uh, all this stuff is new to you, that talking, getting uh, used to talking every single day. But, I mean, I think for the most part, uh, they've done a great job. Uh, we've all took them under our wings, so they they fit, they fit in great. Who's been the most annoying one of them to guard in practice? Most annoying person in the guard. Um, they're all uh, really good. Um, but I mean, since I'm a guard, you know, I'm mostly on Cassius or Wendell. So, what? So, so, tell me about each of their like best moves that they've put on you. 
Uh, I don't want to give you too much, but I mean, um, I mean, they're both just really solid players. You know, they're good drivers, good passers, good shooters. So I mean, I think they're both uh, really good players, and they both have a lot that they bring to the table. And finally, it's a uh, it's a quick one, but I did have to ask Matthew Hurt about the transition from being from Minnesota and moving here to Durham. So here's Matthew Hurt on the climate. How was summer in Durham versus summer in Minneapolis? Uh, summer here is really hot. You know, it's you know like 90, 100. No, I think I think summer in uh, Minnesota is really nice. But I, I'd rather be down here in the winter than winter up there. You know, it's a lot of snow up there. So I think the, the winter's going to be a lot, a lot better. Have you heard that we've had games canceled down here before for snow? What do you think about that? Uh, <laughs> I don't really have anything to say about that. All right, guys. So that was a sort of <laughs> overall uh, picture of the some of the conversations I got to have with the players at Media Day. I'd say overall seems like a like a pretty impressive, smart group. A um, lot of good things to say. Kasha Stanley really stood out to me as as being very thoughtful. So I think Duke fans are going to enjoy watching him. What else did you all take away from from all the audio we got from um, from Media Day? Well, so the first thing I want to say is, Sam, I thought you did an incredible job with those interviews. You brought out some things that we don't hear very often from these players, asked them questions I think they're not used to to hearing. Um, folks, we couldn't bring you all the audio, and part of it was because of time, but part of it was also because uh, some of these guys, like Trey Jones, I just want to say Trey Jones has learned from his brother. He has mastered the art of the cliched answer. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I get it. I understand why he does it. And it, you know, it's an it's an NBA kind of thing. But Sam asked Trey some interesting questions, and Trey gave the most canned, obvious, cliched answer to every single one of them. It's okay, but uh, sorry, Sam, you did a great job. The interviews were awesome. We couldn't bring you all of it because some of it was dull, <laughs> and that's not the fault of the interviewer. Well, and and as you point out, the 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 more experienced players are the ones who who are going to be been better trained. at, at, been at trained. the answers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't even I didn't even ask Javin Delorier any questions because I figure he's he's been around the block enough and and knows how to how to deflect everything. But but I thought we got good stuff from from some of the freshmen there, so that was cool. Donald, what did you think? I, I think well, first of all, I I echo Jason in saying that you did a great job in grabbing all this, and thank you for. Is, is we're lucky to have you on campus uh, to do things like this. We, on that, on that note, yeah. on that note, um, big thanks to a couple of my professors who let me out of class uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to go to media day, but also thanks to uh, Duke sports information director, Mike DeGeorge, who was great about letting, about including us in the, um, in media day and, and also working with us on, on various media access throughout the season. Yeah. yeah thank and, you, Mike. We love you, Mike. Mike, you're doing a, you're doing a great job training the players on how not to answer the questions. So he's uh, he's he's doing great work. But I think the one thing uh, to kind of wrap this up, Sam, the one thing that you got out of them is something that, you know, most people don't is that we got a glimpse into some of these guys personalities. We you know, we got to see what where they have fun, what they do when they're not on the basketball court, which seems to be all the time. Um, and, and that sort of. Uh, insight into what our players are going to be like that lets fans fall in love with them. And that's like, we don't fall in love with, you know, players just because they're really good at basketball, but because their personalities, you know, come out on the court, but to see what they're like off the court. Um, I think that's really cool too. And I think you were really good in getting that part out of a lot of these players to, you know, let their guard down and say, Hey, this is me. I'm more than just a basketball player. I like Game of Thrones, you know, so stuff like that. I think is pretty cool. And and there was we didn't include it because it was just one quick line, but there was a line from Joey Baker um, that I wrote down that I thought was very telling in that regard. He said, "Fans only see ten percent of what goes on in college basketball," um, and he didn't elaborate on it. But what Joey's talking about there is a all the work behind the scenes that they put in on improving their skills and their strength and all that other stuff. But he's also talking about they do media training and you know there's all kinds of discussions with them about how to do interviews and and all this other ancillary stuff that is not part of necessarily performance on the floor um and and we, we saw some of that the, 
these guys were good. They were poised. They knew what to say and they knew what not to say. Um, but but again, props to you, Sam. I thought uh, really good interviews and and yeah, the insight into little things, the the video games that the guys play. And uh, I loved I loved hearing Wendell Moore talk about Giannis and how he plays NBA 2K as Giannis, and he's learning things from playing 2K and from watching Giannis's body control. Please become the next Giannis. <laughs> That'd be great. I, I did point out to him that that I don't if that's possible given that he's not seven feet tall but um yeah cool experience and looking forward to uh, speaking more with with members of the team throughout the season since i'm since i am still here in durham and do get that opportunity so um thanks again to duke basketball for letting us be a part of the media scrum Okay, guys, we're going to go to a bit of recruiting news from the class of 2020, next year's class. In the past couple of weeks, Duke has received a couple of top commitments, but also lost one to those stupid people down the street. Um, first, we'll go with DJ Stewart, a 6'3 guard from Chicago. He committed to Duke back on the 18th. And we also, this past Friday, got a commitment from Henry Coleman III, a 6'7 power forward from Richmond, Virginia. However, last week, 6'11 center Walker Kessler opted to commit to UNC instead of Duke, but he's not going to be a part of the class. Stewart and Coleman joined Jeremy Roach and Jalen Johnson in Duke's recruiting class of 2020. I will go to Jason first, uh, our resident recruiting stand. Jason, with these two commitments, what do you, what do you, how do you see our class shaping up and and what are these guys bringing to the table? Well, uh, obviously Duke is not done recruiting. We have four, outstanding, outstanding prospects um, in the fold, uh, three of whom are, are five-star. I'm not sure if Henry, Henry Coleman, I think, is a, is a four-star recruit. Um, but, uh, but the other three guys are five-star recruits, and, and Duke is continuing to pursue players. Uh, it looks like we're mostly going after um, uh, forwards and big men, uh, losing Walker Kessler to UNC, which was a surprise. Um, I, I, I think Duke is definitely going uh, – there's several – big man prospects that Duke is still very, very much after. And, and everyone seems very confident that we're going to get one, probably two of those. So th- this is shaping up as a, as a fairly big class. Um, I don't think anyone will be surprised if it's a six man class, um, perhaps even seven. Uh, so, uh, but that said, I, I want to talk about the two guys that we just got. Um, Cause I, I, I love what both of these guys are going to bring to the table. Uh, DJ Stewart um, is a guy who has, who, who's, doesn't have NBA size and doesn't nece- for a shooting guard and doesn't necessarily project as a one and done kind of player. He's probably someone who will be around for a few years. A dynamic shooter. This is one of the best outside scorers in the class. He's a guy who's who has rocketed up the rankings. I mean, you know, you can't you can't go too crazy about recruiting rankings because there's a lot that goes into them and they're very fluctuant. They, they fluctuate a lot. But DJ Stewart was a guy who was like in the 60s back in, you know, last winter and and over the spring and summer has rocketed up into the 20s. Um, he's a fringe McDonald's All-American at this point. Um, and that's because he has been shooting the ball so well. He's been showing things more than just a three-point shot. And I'm really excited to get this guy on campus next year. And, and then Henry Coleman, th- this is a kid who at, at 6'7", he doesn't have NBA power forward size. Um, so again, he's a guy who projects to be on campus for several years. You know, uh, you can't say for certain, but probably a four-year player at Duke. Um, but just a relentless worker. This is a guy who who goes after rebounds really, really, really hard. Um, and and he's shown an improving um, jump shot and an improving game. You know, moving out from the inside. But he's someone who doesn't mind mixing it up. Um, doesn't mind playing really hard physical defense inside. I think Duke fans are going to like him a lot. And and the the last thing I wanted to mention about DJ Stewart really quick, DJ Stewart comes from Whitney Young Magnet School in Chicago, and, and we mentioned Jaleel Okafor earlier. Ja also went to Whitney Young. This is one of the best athletic schools in the state of Illinois. Their men's hoops team has won four state titles over the years, but it's also one of the best public schools in the state. It's considered the best public school in the state of Illinois. It's considered one of the top 70 high schools in the country. Um, 97% of those, these kids graduate. 
86% of them take AP classes. So DJ Stewart is coming to Duke from the ideal situation in high school, a high, high, high caliber um, athletic school that is also an incredible academic school. And uh, like I said, Jalil Okafor went there. Michael Jordan's son, Marcus Jordan, went there. Quentin Richardson um, went there. Uh, and and the, the Wachowskis, the, the, um, the, the siblings who made the Matrix films, are alumnus of, of Whitney Young. And then the last best alumnus of Whitney Young, Michelle Obama, went to that school. So uh, he comes from, from an amazing school, an amazing kind of place. Um, I, I, I think that's, that's kind of cool for this kid. And I'm really excited to have him and Henry Coleman on board. Um, I, the Duke class is filling out really, really nicely. It, it looks like we're on our way to, if not the number one, you know, the number two class in the nation again, as we always are. Sam, what do you? Uh, I, I know we we've talked about this class uh, and what who we have right now, but there's still a few guys out there uh, that are still in play. Tell us about those guys. Yeah, so um, Zaire Williams is, is a small forward who's still available. A lot of folks think he's going to be committing to North Carolina, but but Duke is still um, Duke is still in the hunt for him. Um, and then another guy who has come on a little bit recently probably in place of, of Walker Kessler now is Hunter Dickinson. Who's a, who's a big center at DeMatha in, in Maryland, uh, another basketball powerhouse. Hunter Dickinson is somebody that, that Duke could be looking at um, to, to fill a lot of space in the middle next year. And like I mentioned, since Walker Kessler committed to UNC last week, um, Duke's going to, Duke's going to probably be, be going after Hunter Dickinson a little harder um, given that, that he'd play a, a potentially real role especially at the center position. So take a look at those two guys uh, as as the fall gets going and, and they they all begin their senior years. But yeah, Jason has this right. I'm excited about about both Stewart and Coleman, even though they aren't that one and done level type of player. They are the kind of guys who are going to create a great foundation for Duke and and stick around the way that the Javin Delores and, and Jack Whites have in recent years. Uh, you know, keep in mind, Zaire Williams, uh, we, I, we, I think we've talked about this before, uh, plays at Sierra Canyon with uh, Bronny Jr. and Zaire Wade um, and that particular team. So that team is going to be uh, one of those things where he he may not be the uh, most highly rated guy on his own team, but he is certainly uh, a, a huge prospect in himself. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he plays this year with those guys uh, and and where he ends up going. You know, the other name that's out there is Mark Williams. Um, folks who remember uh, Elizabeth Williams, who played um, as a great female basketball player for Duke. Um, uh, it, he is her younger brother. He's another big man prospect. In fact, a lot of people think he will be the next one to commit to Duke. And then the last name that I want to throw out there, this is an appendum to what Sam has been talking about. The last name is Jonathan Kuminga, um, who is not technically in the class of 2020. He's in the class of 2021. Jonathan Kuminga is a small forward, maybe power forward. He is considered the best player, not in the class of 2021, the best player, period, the best player in all of high school basketball right now. And there's lots, there's more and more talk that Kuminga is going to reclassify from 2021 down to 2020. And everyone is saying that he's looking very, very, it, it's Duke in Kentucky. Most people say he's leaning toward Duke. This would be an incredibly dynamic player to add to the team if if we get him if he if it happens it would be huge huge news in fact i'll go ahead and say it right now if jonathan commits to duke we will do an emergency podcast he's that good he's that important um and uh so that's there's a lot of recruiting still happening <laughs> We'd like to take a moment to thank once again our incredible sponsors, Bird Campbell, for their support of the DBR podcast. As you all know, Bird Campbell is your business law firm that bleeds Duke blue. They have two former Duke roommates who are now bringing that Blue Devil swag to the courtroom. So if you are in Florida or Texas and you're looking for a firm to handle any of your business law needs, check out birdcampbell.com because you know Bird Campbell means business. Guys, we are done with the basketball for this week, so let's get into some football. And last week on this podcast, I think we all made note that this past weekend's matchup against Virginia Tech was a winnable one. Well, I don't think any of us were prepared for this. Duke football went down to Blacksburg this past Friday 
and they absolutely annihilated Virginia Tech, 45 to 10. Uh, it was the worst home loss for the Hokies in 45 years and their worst loss in their 16 seasons in the ACC. Now, Duke moves to 3-1, and one, and they're 1-0 and oh in the ACC Coastal. Sam, I'm going to go to you first. Primetime game last weekend in September. This is something that we've had the last three or four seasons, and we faltered, and, and Duke football has stumbled. What was different this time, and how do we work Virginia Tech like a full-time job? Yeah, I think that Duke was – still remembering vividly the game against Virginia Tech last year in Durham that was also a night game, also at the end of September, like you mentioned, and Virginia Tech just rocked Duke six ways to Sunday that game about a year ago. So Coach Cutcliffe and the Blue Devils seemed like they were excited to enact some revenge, and they kept their foot on the gas late into the into the game when it was already decided that Duke was going to be winning and going away. Coach Cutcliffe called a, a fake punt uh, in the fourth quarter with Duke up by 25 points the, to get a to get a first down. They went for another fourth down. They kept... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, that, that, yeah. Let's talk about this for a second. Cutcliffe um, ball. Is there... <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do we think Duke was rubbing it in a little bit? I yeah. think Duke was rubbing it in, but hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I think there was a fair amount of of pent up uh, anger that that they were rubbing back, not just at Virginia Tech, but at the rest of the ACC and and generally that Duke football is not is not to be taken lightly this season. I think that even we coming into the season were thinking that this might be a transition year for Duke. Quentin Harris is a fifth year senior taking over the quarterback position, which if you want to look at that in a rosy way says, oh, we have veteran leadership under center. The other way of looking at it is, well, he's gotten limited playing time, but hasn't really been at the helm because he's been behind Daniel Jones the whole time. And this season was going to be his one chance at that. And maybe next year we transition to a younger quarterback who will have more time. But that has not been the case at all so far. So, so the thing I wanted to say about the the fake punt, if Duke became a team that sort of habitually rubbed it in on other teams that you know, went for it on fourth down, um, uh, you know, with big leads. If we became a team that that does lots of late hits and cheap shots, th- I would not be happy with that. Um, but I think this was this was a, I don't want to say it was a one-time occurrence, like we'd never do it again. But w- frankly, we did it to the team that is known for doing those kind of things. Um, Virginia Tech has uh, has left more than a few Duke players injured um, by by physical play that was unnecessary over the years. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of the way Virginia Tech plays football for the most part. So I got no problem with us doing it this time. Couldn't have happened to a bunch of better assholes. <laughs> Yikes. So let's talk a little bit about the actual game before yeah, the hey. <laughs> to, to lead sure. to the beatdown. So early in the game, Duke was Duke didn't look very strong on offense. They weren't really able to move the ball. But then coming into the second quarter, down 3 nothing, they got a key... Uh, fumble recovery deep in Virginia Tech territory to lead to a single play drive that was that was Duke's first touchdown of the game, a, a touchdown pass from from Quentin Harris. Then from there, the offensive floodgates seemed to open. Um, Duke was able to move the ball on the ground a lot. Harris was was really good running the ball and throwing the ball. I he had a few really nice passes. I wouldn't describe his his passing as being overwhelming by any means, but but really effective sort of getting the ball to to different guys. It seems like a lot of the skill players are comfortable at Duke this season playing different roles. So wide receivers running out of the slot, being able to run, um, being able to run option plays. Um, Duke had one, had one nice little trickery uh, for, for a touchdown password where Quentin Harris uh, tossed it backwards to one of the wide receivers who then threw the touchdown pass to an, to an open man. So, um, the the offensive creativity is really cool to see from Duke this season. I think that Coach Cutcliffe's general reputation is that he's going to mold quarterbacks into into you know classic Peyton Manning type quarterbacks. Quentin Harris is not exactly that kind of guy. He's a little bit more mobile, like Daniel Jones was before him. Um, and so Coach Cutcliffe has figured out a way to use more of his team's strengths than try to mold them into something that they're not. So I was really impressed with the way the offensive the offense played in this game. But Donald, did you want to mention about the about the defensive effort? Yeah, you know what? I thought the defensive effort was spectacular. You talked about we were down three nothing at one point. That three points came as a result of 
uh, goal line stand. It was a goal line stand, but also like yeah. it, it started because they ran a punt back, like you know, sixty yards or something. It did some Beamer ball stuff, and we're like, oh, okay, well, if we can hold them to three points, you know, that'll be fine. And I think with the defense, they found confidence in that goal line stand and saying, hey, if we're just gonna, if we could do this, then we should be able to do this at will because once the once the offense gets going. The, the defense was on top of it. I mean, the defense started the offense. It's kind of like basketball where you like to see the transition. And, and like you said, there was many plays where we would either have a long kickoff return. We get a fumble recovery. We'd have a interception and it only took one or two plays for us to strike. And I think that defense was the catalyst of everything that was going on again in that game. So hats off to the defense. We talked about a couple of weeks ago about how both teams would have, uh, you know, a 12-day layoff for this game. And I think the defense really honed in and said, this is our game. If, if anything is winnable, we should be able to outpower uh, Virginia Tech's offense. And they did that the entire night. So that's why they were really stunting on on the team in the fourth quarters because the defense gave the opportunities for our, for our football team to score points. And I, I really loved what I saw from them. Jason, I know you had some uh, uh, stat stuff um, about the game. Why don't you tell us what you saw? Well, so before I get to the stats, I want one one other defensive comment. Um, I, I know it, it's real easy to say that Quentin Harris was the player of the game. Look, dude was great, rushed for a hundred yards, absolutely in control uh, at at quarterback. And and by the way, pump fakes, his pump fakes were impressive. The first touchdown uh, to Gray is is all because Quentin Harris does a great. Uh, shoulder fake that completely freezes the Virginia Tech defense and, and allows Gray to be 100% completely wide open. But I want to talk defensively, Kobe Kwanzaa. Uh, uh, dude plays outside linebacker for Duke. He was all over the place. He had 13 tackles. And in my opinion, the two biggest plays of the game. First one is Virginia Tech fumbles the ball. Kobe Kwanzaa is the guy who pounces on it. And that really sort of jump starts the Duke offense. And then Late, uh, there's about three, three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. It's 24 to three. It's still a game. Let's be clear. At 24 to three, it's still a game. And Virginia Tech was going for it on fourth and one. And I thought Kobe Kwanzaa was shot out of a cannon. The way he, he, he sniffed out the play that Virginia Tech was running on fourth and one, just busted into the backfield, nailed Virginia Tech quarterback. The dude had no chance to go anywhere. It wasn't even like one of these fourth and ones where you go, oh, are they going to measure or something? Like they lost two yards in the play. Mm-hmm. And and Kobe Kwanzaa, that was Kobe Kwanzaa figuring out where the play was going and getting to the point of attack immediately. He, he is the senior, uh, from what I've seen, he's the senior leader of this defense. And so huge props to him on a, a really great game. Um, so I'll segue now to, to my stat stuff. And this is all related to the final score. This was uh, Duke's biggest ACC road win since 1989, back in my day, when we beat the North Carolina Tar Heels 41 to nothing. I just wanted to remind everyone that we beat North Carolina 41 to nothing my senior year. Um, <laughs> my, in, 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 uh, in my year of birth. <laughs> there we go. And now you know how much older I am than Sam. Uh, it was Virginia Tech's biggest loss, home road, anything. Their biggest loss since joining the ACC. It was their worst home loss since 1974, before Sam was born, 45 years ago. That was before I was born, too. Damn. And, and, and I, loved, I loved that we, we rushed the ball for 234 yards. I thought the run-pass option run by Quentin Harris – Virginia Tech just never even began to figure out what we were doing on on offense. Uh, when you rush the ball for 234 yards, you're gonna win the game. Yeah, and Jackson that's... had a ridiculous game. I thought like he was, I think he was outstanding. Even well, we spread it around. Ball, yeah, he would do those end arounds, and also because of that, like he had a couple of you know plays where they would throw it to him in the flat, and because of that, they had to key in on him. And when they did, Quentin Harris had daylight like for anything else he wanted to do. Yeah, you know, the great thing was, um, so Quentin Harris threw the ball for 163 yards, but almost all his passes were to backs and tight ends. Um, you know, most of the receiving yards went to Durant and Gray and Jackson. Um, uh, there, there, there just wasn't, there wasn't a lot of uh, passing to the wide receivers, which is fine. I, I, don't, I don't mind that because uh, we were able to pick apart what they were giving us. 
And and we did such a great job at at you know throwing six and eight yard passes that we then turned into thirteen and eighteen yards by run after catch. So really, really great execution on on both sides of the football. Forty five to ten in Virginia Tech. I mean, that's I'll take that. That's impressive. And one thing that I noted about uh, Quentin Harris's completions was that most of his guys were wide open. And why wide open? I mean, like nobody within ten yep. yards of them. Yep. And there's only a few times where he had to throw the ball into space, and he did that very well too. But uh, I really liked you know, that means that everybody was executing. That means that the wide receivers and the backs and the, and the tight ends were running their routes to perfection. And it also they they were calling plays that Virginia Tech had no idea how to defend because it was literally where Quentin Harris would literally just have to look around and find the one guy that had nobody next to him and just toss him the ball. And that guy could turn and run. So I, I thought they did excellent in that. And really when it comes down to it, uh, to close it out, when you have a game like this, most people at the end, a lot of the pundits were talking about how far Virginia Tech has fallen. Uh, but I think that is, you know, absolutely disrespectful. And that's why we were kind of running up the score because I think that this shows how far Duke football as a program has come that they walked into Blackbird and beat the piss out of them. And but, it was, it was great to see. By the way, the Virginia tech head coach after the game said, we weren't prepared to play a team of that caliber. So he was saying Duke's too good for us. Yeah. And it showed on every angle of the football. And I'm so Duke's, proud of this team for that. Duke's won, Duke's won three of their last four in Blacksburg. Are we now at the point where we're looking forward to playing games in Blacksburg? Whoa! Like, <laughs> Let's that, not get crazy now. <laughs> is that a is that a thing for this team? I, I I loved. By the way, did you guys see after the game the video of Coach Cut running back into the locker room? Yeah, um, they had the they had the music blaring, and Coach Cut had his had his baseball cap on backwards and and ran in like jumping and screaming. Uh, if you think that that he is he is on his way to retirement, uh the energy level appears to still be with him and, and he still gets all that excitement from being on the field with the players. I think this was an amazing outcome. And by the way, again, you know, looking ahead at the season when we started, this is about as good as we could have expected Duke to be doing to this point. Losing to Alabama was was somewhat of a given. Being three and one at the end of September with a huge win over Virginia Tech makes Duke look really strong and um, possibly on their way to another bowl game, although the Coastal Division has a lot of of good, not great teams. We'll, we might we might talk here a little bit uh, looking ahead at, at Carolina and the and the effort that they put up against Clemson this weekend. Um, lots of teams in the in the coastal look good, but not but not elite. So once again, Duke certainly in in contention for a bowl game. We'll see how they all play out. But I know we wanted to um, look ahead at the Pittsburgh game that's coming this weekend, right? Yeah, and, and let's get into it. Duke football, they're back in action this weekend against Pitt. It's 8 p.m. kickoff on the new ACC network, so everyone out there, check to make sure that you have the ACC network because uh, that's where the game's going to be. Or show up here at, at Wallace Wade Stadium. Or we'll show be up a... if you're within driving distance. That's uh, awesome. Awesome. Fuqua has a Fuqua's going to have a big tailgate, or at least I'm going to have a big tailgate, and I think a lot of my friends are going to come, <laughs> so uh, show up to that. Show up to that. Um, but really quickly from each of you, I know we're running long, Give me one thing that Duke needs to do to beat Pitt and keep this train rolling. Jason, I'll go to you first. Oh, man, I wasn't prepared for one thing. I, I, I was going to – the thing I was going to say about Pitt is I, they, they've struggled on offense this year. Like, if you look at their scores, uh, they scored 14 against UVA in a loss. They scored only 20 against Ohio in a win. They lost to Penn State, and they scored 10 points. They had a big offensive game against Central Florida. Um, they scored 35 in that game. Which that is game, pretty impressive. Very, Central Florida. Yeah. <laughs> big win, um, but but maybe a little deceptive because their next game, they come back, they play Delaware, and they only score 17. So this is a team that has not has only had one game where they've exceeded 20 points, um, which is not great offense. Uh, so if, if I'm one thing, I'm going to say that Duke's D is probably going to contain Pitt. So I need our offense to be smart, to be efficient, to be a little bit tricky. And and get some points on the board. Uh, my my bet is if we can get to twenty four, we're we're going to win this game for sure. I think that Duke's big thing this week again, this past week against Virginia Tech was was controlling the turnovers. They hung on to the ball really well and also forced a couple of turnovers. One through an interception and one through a a sack and fumble recovery. I'd like to see Duke 
um, have more just as much turnover success this week against Pittsburgh, because as Jason said, it'll probably be a lower scoring affair and the turnovers will be um, more important in, in an environment like that. Hey, and one more thing really, really quick. I mentioned a couple weeks ago and a lot of people poo pooed me for it. I said, you know, according to the computers, according to all the matchup stuff, Duke is a favorite, even at Virginia Tech. And people were like, what, what you're crazy. Uh, well, so looking at the computers, the matchups again, um, you know, most of the computers are saying that Duke's going to be like around a six or seven point favorite um, against against Pitt um, in this game. And uh, and and ESPN's matchup predictor says uh, makes Duke a seventy five percent chance of beating uh, of beating Pitt. So let's go so out let's there. Do get that. Business, let's yeah. get business done. If if we take care of business at home, not saying we have to win every game, but if we win like every game except one at home. This is a team that's going to win seven or eight games in the year. So get it done at home because we've gotten it done on the road so far, and and it could be a really special season. Yeah, I, you were talking about the uh, lines. I think last week we were talking about Virginia Tech's line was going to be probably us by a couple of points. End up being Virginia Tech minus two and a half. What that tells you is that they thought that we were a better team because you usually give three to four points for a team at home. This week, I think to win the game, you have to control the line of scrimmage like we did last week. And I think if on both sides of the ball, I thought the offensive line was good at creating lanes for guys to run uh, and also pass protection for Quentin Harris to, you know, do those, you know, short passes. If we can do that again this week and on defense, you know, shut down Pitt's run because they're going to like to run the ball a lot. Um, if, if we can do that, then I think that is going to be a key to this game. I think Sam also with the turnovers, uh, you know, us turning, you know, getting turnovers just feeds our offense, it feeds our whole team. Uh, and we don't get that many of them. We didn't get that many last year. So uh, those are my two things. Uh, I know I said one, but uh, Sam <laughs> Sam, hit, Sam hit me with right in the, right in the fields with the turnover thing because I thought that was really important too. Well, so so really quick, you mentioned the line. Um, so the line opened in Vegas, uh, Virginia Tech minus four, and mm-hmm. and by game time, you're right, it was down to to minus two and a half. Um, I, I read something. I'm, I'm sort of into gambling, as you guys know. <laughs> I've been known to place a dollar here or there. Uh, the, the Sharps, the, the, the savvy Vegas betters, all came in on Duke late. Everyone sort of knew that, uh, I think, you know, um, everyone sort of knew Duke was going to win this game uh, mm. or, or at least suspected. And, and the, the smart money all came in on Duke late. And I read something that said that 73% of the wagers were put on Duke. Vegas took a beating on this game because they didn't believe in the blue devils. Good. Good. I like that. (laughs) That's great. All right, gentlemen, we now arrive at parting shots. Sam, I will start with you. Yeah. So Duke men's basketball, the Duke blue planet put out a, one of those Duke blue planet, you know, long form videos this week that followed a bunch of the players around to various places on campus and different activities. And they did a chapel climb, but there was a, a bit that they did from grad student camp out that I wanted to briefly highlight because the grad student that they chose to give the camera to and to, and to have them follow around into his tent was one of my best friends, a guy, Michael, who was wearing a bucket hat. So I recommend that you go watch the Duke blue planet video. I promise that, my friend is is a smart, competent person, but they may have caught him, maybe not at his best moment, but they still <laughs> let the camera roll, and he was really happy about it. So go check that out, and big shouts to my buddy Michael for uh, making his Duke Blue Planet uh, debut. No, that was good, and also it's funny they, they were doing some that we we didn't talk about this when you were dirt when you were doing the camp, but uh, uh, they were talking about the uh, the Instagram stories that they were doing, and they actually caught you, Sam. Doing a little singing uh, on the Instagram Where? story. It was it was weeks ago, like when you on, were doing on, it on the Duke men's basketball. I think it was the it was either Duke men's basketball or Duke la- athletics or something. But someone was out in Cameron from Duke, and they caught you doing a little karaoke. You were fantastic. Uh, no, I wasn't doing karaoke. I'm in the I'm in the band at Fuqua. We have a oh, so we have a student a band. band. We okay. had a we had a full like twelve song set that we played in Kville on Saturday night of campout. And I sang, I sang two songs with the band this, this time around. We have a, a lot of different people that, that play a lot of different instruments, which is a lot of fun. But I sang 
Um, I sang Snow by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and mm-hmm. I did Country Roads, of course, by it was It John was Denver. Red Hot Chili Peppers that I sang. It was Red Hot Chili Peppers? One. Yeah. Uh, I was like, wait, that's Sam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. We, it was sort of a weird setup. We had the we had this we didn't really have a stage we were kind of just on the on the brick paved area in front of cameron like where the undergraduate student entrance was but we had sort of people like behind us on the on the slope sort of to the side of the schwartz butters building and then out in front of us so we did have like a like a real show going on it was uh it was a lot of fun i got i got pretty into it i had a good time and and a lot of my friends play in the band with me so um, we had fun. I'm not sure that the non-Fuqua students really understood what was going on, but but for all my like my classmates were all like standing in the front and they were mm-hmm. cheering us on. So it was uh, it was a good time. That's awesome. It, it goes to show that you know keep watching the Duke Blue Planet videos on Instagram and on uh, Facebook because you never know who you will find on there. Um, it's true, Jason. It's true. I'm, you're, I, you're I, I, I was I guess I was prominently featured, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Jason, your party chat. Oh, by the way, by the way, the band's name. I I forgot to mention. This is important. The band, because we're because we represent the business school, we're called Supply and Deband. Um, <laughs> it's a great. Uh, we didn't. Just, that's a great name. That's a great we didn't. Name. We didn't. We it's didn't come so up with geeky. that. It's so it, geeky. It's been passed down through a few generations of of Fuqua students, but yeah, Supply and Deband. Oh, I have to we follow that. Track. We've been sidetracked. Oh my god! Sorry, <laughs> Jason, go ahead. Oh boy. Okay, I got to recover because my parting shot is serious. <laughs> um, I, I want to talk uh, about the NCAA police, who who came calling uh, in a couple different ways this past week, and and we really need to to chat about this very briefly. Uh, the first place the NCAA came calling was University of Kansas. Um, and the Kansas basketball program. Um, the NCAA has leveled some very, very serious charges against Kansas. This is all connected to the Adidas scandal and to payers, players being uh, paid by, you know, the, by these runners, these guys who are sort of connected to the shoe companies. They get the money from the shoe companies. They give it to the players because the players then attend the school they want. Look, this has been going on for for well over a year now. And, uh, and we've been waiting sort of for the shoe to drop on schools like Kansas and Arizona and a couple others that have been implicated in a lot of stuff. There's been a lot of testimony. There's been evidence, text messages and things like that, including text messages from Bill Self that certainly appear to imply some direct knowledge of what was going on. Um, uh, so Kansas got a notice of allegations from the NCAA, some very, very serious allegations in there. Um, including stuff specifically leveled at Bill Self, Kansas has taken a very, very hard line, um, and and they're denying everything. Bill Self is saying this is, you know, this is all made up. This is not fake news, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and we'll see how it all turns out. Uh, but I, I have some friends, some very close friends of mine, who are Kansas boosters. Um, not literally, you know, they're they're big fans of Kansas. And when this came out, I went, I went, guys, oh my gosh, can you believe this is happening to your school? We've been, one of them is one of my best friends, a guy who I've been talking college basketball about um, for like 20 years. He and I have been really close and, and he talks about it from a Kansas perspective. I talk about it from a Duke perspective. And I, I was a little surprised. Their immediate reaction was to say, oh, come on, you know, this kind of thing happens at Duke and UNC and Kentucky and every place else. And I was very taken aback by that, not because I think it doesn't happen at, uh, at other schools. I think it probably does happen at some other schools. I don't know that it happens at Duke. And, I, and I'd like to think that um, Duke has, uh, has gotten to where they are and achieved what they've achieved without cheating um, and, and that there's no reason for Coach K to resort to that kind of thing. But I was surprised that the defense... Um, and look, we heard this from UNC so, somewhat during the academic scandal. Come on, everyone has e- easy classes. The defense from my Kansas friends was, ah, come on, everybody's paying these players. Everybody's funneling money to them. Um, that's a despicable defense. That's the wrong defense. And the implication in that defense is, look, Kansas is really competing only with Duke and Arizona and UNC and Kentucky, the top tier schools, and everybody's cheating, so it doesn't matter. But the reality in that defense is there's somewhere down the line where some school is getting cheated. I don't know where that line is. I don't know where it comes to. I mean, look, we saw Miami was implicated in the Adidas scandal a little bit. NC State is involved in it. 
maybe maybe all the power five schools are cheating in some way. But at some point, Kansas fans, at some point you get to the point where there are schools who are not getting the benefit of having payers players paid by the shoe companies. So at some point you're cheating someone. And the bottom line is it's against the rules. It's not supposed to be done. And we all know that not everyone is doing it. So it's just, it's wrong. And, and I hate that, I hate that when you can't refute the allegations, your fallback defense is that's okay. Everyone does it. That, no, it's a rule and you're not supposed to break the rules. So that kind of brings me to part two of what the NCAA did this week, which was the NCAA went after Georgia Tech in a pretty big way. The Georgia Tech basketball program and its head coach, Josh Passner, um, got hit with fairly severe sanctions. They are banned from the tournament um, this coming year. I know a lot of people sort of laughed and joked, ha, 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 you're banning Georgia Tech from the tournament. Georgia Tech hasn't been in the tournament in several years. Who cares? The reality is that Georgia Tech, they weren't going to be great this year, not by any stretch of the imagination. But if you tell me that Georgia Tech was going to be middle of the ACC pack and if things broke their way, they were going to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament, that's not an impossible thing to believe. Um, they were, they're an experienced team um, with, with, you know, with a lot of upperclassmen. Tech had an outside shot at making the NCAA tournament, not anymore because of the sanctions that came down from the NCAA. They, they, they put them on like four years of probation. They fined them 2% of their basketball budget. They're limiting the number of scholarships. They're limiting the amount of time that Georgia Tech can go out on the road and recruit. They're limiting, limiting the amount of, of visits, recruiting visits. I mean, that Georgia Tech can get. Tech got hammered really hard over, let's be clear, the, the, the things that Tech did wrong, one was former player Jarrett Jack, who was considered a booster of the program, took Wendell Carter to a strip club, which was freaking stupid because everyone knew Wendell Carter was going to end up going to Duke. But Wendell Carter, uh, Jarrett Jack took Wendell Carter to a strip club, gave Wendell Carter $300 to spend at the strip club to stick in strippers, you know, whatever. All right, Jason, and that's enough of that. That's enough. But that's one of the things that's, that's one of the things involved in this. And then the other thing was a friend of the program, a a slime ball. I'm not even going to say the guy's name, who was friends with Josh Passner, spent about two thousand dollars flying players out to Arizona to hang with him at his pool. It was and gave him shoes. It was. But look, let's be clear. These were not like horrible, terrible things that Georgia Tech did. And. Uh, upon finding out about this stuff, Georgia Tech immediately, there was an assistant coach who was involved that Georgia Tech immediately fired. They immediately distanced themselves from this friend of Passner. Um, uh, they they, they self-reported the, the Jarrett Jack stuff with Wendell Carter, I believe. I mean, Tech dealt with this as upfront and as quickly and as severely as you possibly can. And the NCAA hammered Georgia Tech. I mean, they hit them hard for fairly small stuff. What does any of this mean? If I'm Kansas and I just got a notice of allegation of, I think it was four, three or four, you know, major violations. If Kansas doesn't fight this off, the NCAA is going to pound Kansas. We could be talking multi-year um, postseason tournament bans. We could be talking major scholarship productions. Bill Self could get a show cause penalty. They could say to Bill Self, you cannot coach college basketball for a certain period of time. I won't be shocked if the NCAA, if what the NCAA alleges turns out to be true, Bill Self, one of the giants in the game, I mean, clearly one of the five best coaches in college basketball, will probably be out of college basketball coaching. This was serious, serious stuff this week. And so I just wanted to talk about it briefly, and I've gone on for long and long. So I'm done. <laughs> one, thing I, one thing that you focused on was, you know, how the NCAA could come down on Kansas. but I, I think, honestly, I'll believe it when I see it because they have shown over the last few years their inconsistency. We, we had these same words about UNC, and they gave them nothing. Um, so I, I, want, I, I, I don't want to say I, I hope you're right because I think a story like this involving a blue blood like Kansas is not good for college basketball at all. Uh, but... I will believe the punishments when I see it. And I think in, in, in what they gave to Georgia Tech, it shows their inconsistency because they're going to hammer Georgia Tech and then they're going to, you know, let, you know, the hammered Boise State in football. Uh, but 
they're not they didn't do anything UNC they didn't do anything to a couple other schools uh, or, or or gave them relatively light slaps on the wrist so uh, we'll we'll see what happens with this but it obviously is one of those um, black eyes on a blue blood program like Kansas and it'll be interesting to see how how they attack this because they're gonna have to um, if they want to I think some bands might be coming it's just a matter of what length and what what will be involved but it'll be interesting to see I think the NCAA is is at an, a, a critical juncture because of the way Carolina was able to skate um, and get off scot-free, uh, sort of on a technicality of what the NCAA is allowed to have jurisdiction over. That's And then they that's had the opportunity to, to change that jurisdiction and didn't do and it. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, so, uh, but the, the Kansas situation, I think, is different in that it's a pretty straightforward pay-the-players kind of situation. Um, if the NCAA is unable, given given testimony, given um, uh, uh, text messages and things like that, if the NCAA is unable to to come down on Kansas, then I think the NCAA has sort of abdicated their ability to be um, to be the police, to be the the judge and jury. And and if that happens, then uh, look, you know, mark mark the moment on the on the clock because we're now counting down probably to the end of the NCAA as any kind of enforcement mechanism. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll we'll, we'll keep eyes on on that and see where it goes from here because that is obviously going to be something that dominates the college basketball newswire for you know the next year or so. Uh, so we'll see what happens. My parting shot, I want to give a shout out. I'm going back to Duke. I want to give a shout out to Duke men's soccer. Um, Duke men's soccer, they were ranked as high as number two in the country. And then they hit a rough stretch the last couple of weeks. They lost three in a row to some really tough teams, including Virginia and Clemson. And then they entered, they on this three-game losing streak, they went down to Chapel Hill to face uh, UNC. They, UNC is also one of the teams that is ranked in the top 15, 10, depending on the, the waiver wire you're looking at. They were down 2 nothing to UNC and came back and beat them at Chapel Hill 3-2. So this is something that hopefully will turn around their entire season uh, and get them back on track. I think they're one of the teams that in the last few years, they have been one of those teams that are poised to strike and become one of the best teams in the country and compete for national championships. And I think this is a team that is cut out to do that. I mean, their starting goalkeeper um, trained a uh, Borussia Dortmund. His name, Will Pulisic, cousin of Christian Pulisic. Uh, so I, I, he has that that caliber uh, to be a really great, great goalkeeper uh, and has been doing really well this season for the Blue Devils. So hats off for A, beating UNC, and B, getting fighting a comeback against a rival. That will help hopefully rejuvenate the season, and I think those guys are poised to do great things. We're going to be looking out for them down the road as we get towards College Cup in December. And I think that's going to do it for us on Episode 166 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast Next week, we we want to give you a little nugget. We actually were able to interview Kenny Blakeney uh, this week, uh, but because of what we had to talk about this week, we are we're going to have that on next week's episode. So please make sure you tune in and and listen to that because it's a really really great interview. As always, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a nice review wherever you go for your podcast listening, and most importantly, tell a friend about it so that. Every Duke fan can be down with us. Um, We'll be back next week uh, with that Kenny Blakely interview and everything else. But until then, for Sam Klein and Jason Evans, I'm Donald Wine. Thanks so much for listening. And Duke fans, play us this week.